Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Hi, this is Jason Masters, artist on Varga and Idol on 007 Comics, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Welcome back to Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. And joining me as veteran Bondophile co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Welcome back to the show, Jason. Regale us with the Bond-like things that you have done since last recording. I told you. I told you we were doing a podcast. I told you. Preparing for my next Bond role. I'm putting my demo tapes together. <laughs> it was very good. You like it? Yes. I've been working on it all week. <laughs> oh, man. Bonnie and things that I've done. I don't know. Is uh, Bond like dead broke and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> binge watching Netflix? Because if he is, I'm right up there with what up, what up, what up. <laughs> So cool. what have you been doing? What have I been doing that's Bond-like? Well, I got a sniper rifle and shot at a woman with a cello. It didn't end like it did for Bond. The police got involved. I got in quite a bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I was trying to just hit the rifle. <laughs> I just, no, man. It's, you know I, what? It turns out KGB agents don't wear body armor. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> 
cigar with a soft tip. Ah, but anyway, no, man, not much. I did have the pleasure of recording a new podcast. It will already have aired by the time this comes out. We've got our new series with Mr. Raymond Benson has joined our OHMS pod family. How cool is that? I tell you what I've been doing. (laughs) I tell you what I've been doing for you, Delvin. So far, I've been playing it cool. Yeah. yeah. Like just kind of warming up to him, getting to be friends. I'm going to drop that silver hands thing. We're going to take a second pass on that as soon as I feel like I got the true ends with him. So just stand by on that. I will. And I have high hopes here. I think that one day we will see silver hands on the silver screen. There you go. And speaking of which, I guess it's high time we introduce our other rookie agents, the guys who are going through the series for the first time. You just heard from Delvin the Dark Web Williams, a.k.a. Silverhands, a.k.a. Felix Slider, a.k.a. Pop Pop Hiss. What is going on, my friend? Have you done anything Bond-like lately? You know, I was thinking about that while I was listening to Jason, while I was listening to you, and I don't have much. The most Bondian thing I think I did is that I I relatively recently received a promotion in jujitsu. I received my first stripe on my blue belt. So if I get a few more stripes and maybe a few more color changes, you know, then I'm hoping that I learned, you know, that kick that Roger Moore had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that can kill people. Oh, you're talking about the DSK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the DSK. Absolutely. And I know that if I'm patient enough, eventually I'll get there. But I'm not there yet. I'm very far away. We're proud of you, though. Question. Did sure. you have to kill the other man like in Man with the Golden Gun? Yes. <laughs> Oh, now I'm really impressed. Absolutely. (laughs) Man. Speaking of dead men, Pat Sampson, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, well, we have our other rookie agent, Pat, a.k.a. DJ Cristado Sampson. And what Bond-like things have you been doing? Well, it's been a lot of snow out here, so Mm -hmm. I've changed a tire because I don't have a really Bondian car that'll change it for me or get riggings out or something like that. Yeah, you need that riggings. Yeah. Done some uh, snowmobiling or, you know, I guess my car in the snow again, you know, that's that time of year so did you use a cello case you know i didn't have one but i think i will start to use one the next time that happens they work well in a pinch yeah Mm -hmm. i was thinking about maybe just tying a rope to the back of the car telling the kids to hop in the cello case and do some (laughs) donuts or something in the parking lot somewhere good work i mean i I never knew that you know a cello case had such mileage but i'm learning all sorts of things in this bond world (laughs) it'd be like some wintertime tubing it all sounds good to me Mm -hmm. well we're playing on releasing the show monthly is a companion to the show that Van, Alan Plexico, and Alan Porter are doing. They're currently doing one 007 film per month as we build toward the release of Bond 25, which is now coming out in April of 2020. This show is just getting a fresh look at the 007 series through the eyes of our newcomers. If you want that more in-depth sort of academic look into the film series, complete with the host that has an actual British accent. And let me tell you, sexy. Stay tuned to and subscribe to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We do all kinds of fun stuff, so just hang out there with us, folks. We got the music show now with Raymond Benson. We've got our special podcast interview shows. We got a lot of cool stuff, so stay for the fun. What do you mean? I thought Delvin was British. No. Oh, he's not? He's from Birmingham, Oh, Alabama. 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 Oh, I, not England, mate. I'm sorry. The accent threw me off. <laughs> I, I know. I, it does. It does. I, just the other day, someone was like, oh, my God, are you from England? And I'm like, no. <laughs> It's very confusing. Oh, my goodness. Let's roll into today's film, which is The Living Daylights. But before we get started with our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right into the action with no parachute in a segment called What Makes You Say That? 
I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. Says, so speak over of a hold your peace. All right. For those of you unfamiliar with the show, welcome. And I will now describe what makes you say that. I give Jason a line from today's movie, The Living Daylights. Jason rewinds the movie in his head and tells me the line that came before it. You ready to do this, Jason? I am ready. Let's do this. Start ready. Let's do it. I'm ready. Do it live. Delvin's ready. He's not even playing. <laughs> I'm amped for Jason. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get a little nervous. The deeper we go into these Bond movies, like the fewer times I've seen, I think I might do okay with Living Daylights. Though. We'll see. Let's find you, out. You think your brother wouldn't take that in account and try to get you some softballs? <laughs> All right. Yeah, tee it up for me, Jared. We're going to start off with an easy one. Here we go. The line is, forget the ladies for once, Bond. Lovely girl with the cello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. This one's a little tougher. Not exactly, sir. I had to make a split-second decision. I think it's when he's talking with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, I read Saunders' report. You jeopardized the mission to avoid shooting a beautiful girl. Ooh, that was like a long line, too. Yeah, I know. You you got the whole line word for word. You missed only one word. It's, yes, I've read the Saunders' report. You jeopardized the entire mission to avoid shooting oh, a beautiful girl. But you... Mission. I'm giving you full marks, man. That was amazing. Good job. Wow. I am impressed. Well done, Agent Weasel Skull. Well right. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Who's laughing now, Dad? Who's wasting his life now? <laughs> Speaking of the pride of the Weasel Skull, Jason, would you enlighten us with the mission brief on the Living Daylights? The name that means excitement is back. Bond. James Bond. That girl must be very talented. Shoot up. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. Wherever he goes, adventure follows. Two of our men are dead. Koskoff's name to you. Then I must die. Eliminate him. Kill him! for danger. He lives for the moment. He lives on the edge. Wherever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights. All right, a Soviet General Koskov seeks to defect to the West. James Bond is sent into Czechoslovakia to get him out. Czechoslovakia? <laughs> After a daring rescue, MI6 debriefs the general back in the UK, and he reveals that KGB General Pushkin is reinstating a program called Smirsh Spionin, literally meaning death to spies. Before he can reveal anything more, Koskov is kidnapped from the MI6 safe house. With his prize lost and 007 near the top of Pushkin's hit list, M orders Bond to terminate the rogue KGB mastermind. 
With his instinct screaming that something isn't right, Bond reluctantly accepts the assignment while secretly beginning his own investigation. Spanning the globe from Austria to Morocco to Afghanistan, 007 teams up with beautiful cellist Kara Malovi, CIA pal Felix Leiter, and Mujahideen commander Cameron Shaw to unravel an insidious plot involving Koskov, Necros, and an American arms dealer. In an action-filled epic involving car chases, double crosses, and a climactic battle in the sky, the Living Daylights is the first of Timothy Dalton's two roles as Bond. The film made $51.2 million in the U.S. and $140 million overseas. The cast included Timothy Dalton as Bond, Mariam Diabo as Kira Malovi, some guy named General Koska. <laughs> You're not going to think of cracking that. Jerome? Jerome Crab. Jerome? I'm guessing it's a YJ sound? I don't know. Uh, General Koska. He's good actor. Uh, Joe Don Baker as Brad Whitaker, John Rice Davies as General Pushkin, Caroline Bliss as Miss Moneypenny, Desmond Llewellyn as Q, and Robert Brown as M. Back to you, Jared. Thank you for that, Agent Jason. Now let's find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in a segment called Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? We're going to break this movie into a few pieces, get the insights of our rookie agents, and then Agent Jason is going to give us his overall insights along with a few Bond bombs of trivia before leading Agent Dolan and Patton to their scoring rounds. We're going to break the rookie review discussions up into the following sections. We're going to talk about the pre-title sequence and then the song in the opening credits. Then we're going to have Agent Jared's Choice, where I pick something that I think is standout from this film to get the rookie's opinions on, and then their overall opinions on the film. So, with that in mind, rookie agents, what did you think about the pre-title sequence? sequence we will start with pat tonight uh, it was a different opening uh, a lot of more action scene going on i thought it was a good way to introduce the new bond i agree it was like a training mission was i right yes okay because i really wasn't kind of sure what was really happening i thought it was kind of sort of a training it was indeed a training mission delvin what did you think about that training mission i figured the, the brits just normally arm themselves with paintballs <laughs> 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 I shot you with a pink one because pink's for ladies, and that's what I think you are a lady man. Pop, pop, sis. <laughs> Uh, I think this is going to be a thing for me. I'm surprised they didn't give Timothy Dalton more of a moment. Like, Lazenby had one movie. This didn't happen to the other fella, which was a a clever one-liner. They kind of hid that it was Lazenby. I I did a little bit of reading, a little bit of reading, and they said that they intentionally made some of the other double O's look like former Bond folks, like, to kind of throw off who the new Bond might be. But, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I I wanted Timothy to have his cool moment. Even though the, the scene was good, don't get me wrong, it was action and I definitely raised my eyebrow when at first I, I was like, oh, okay, this is fake, this is paintballs. And then they're like, hey, I got you. Then the, the guy turns around and guns them down and for real. It's like, oh. So yeah, it was a good scene. It captured my attention. Good. Good. This is, I'm not going to lie, this is one of my favorite pre-title sequence. And I do like how they kind of kept Timothy Dalton away from us until I think it was the one guy fell to his death and then it panned in on Dalton and his hair's blowing in the breeze and he looks so dreamy and you just want to rub him. (laughs) Hey, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I agree with you up to that point. (laughs) It was a really good opening sequence. I was into it. I thought it was really cool. The one thing that stood out for me was the fact that you could tell that Dalton's doing a lot of his own stunts and he Mm -hmm. is way more physical than Roger Moore was. How much younger was he? At least 48 years. 80 years or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, you know, I don't know the math on that, but I want to say Dalton was right around 40 when he picked up this movie. Hmm. That sounds about right. I think Dalton was right 48 years younger than that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for Jason, which is weird because I'm a big Dalton guy, a big Bond guy, but this just occurred to me as we were just discussing it just now. Am I mistaken or does Dalton not say anything until he lands on that boat with that girl? Ooh, that's a good No, I don't think he had a word of dialogue until he lands on that boat. And then, of course, eventually you get the Bond, James Bond line. And when he gave that line, I was always like, Bond, James Bond. Like, he was just totally dismissive. He's like, hold on. Yeah. Take a number. I'll get to you in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yep. he was born in 46. I think that movie was 86, so that would have put him at 40 years old. The movie was released in 87, and they probably filmed it when he was, yep, he was probably filmed when he was, he was 40. Yep. And anybody out there that says he doesn't have a sense of humor hasn't seen Hot Fuzz. That's all I <laughs> Exactly. But yes, to address what Delvin mentioned earlier, and I'll probably come up throughout our review of this, most deep into Bond lore people would consider Timothy Dalton the most novelized, the most Fleming-esque, hmm. basically from the book. And the book, he's not nearly as flippant, and he's not even super charming. No. He's just, he's more like Timothy Dalton is in this movie. <laughs> and Timothy Dalton took a lot of pride in that. But we'll talk more about that as we go on. So it sounds like everyone enjoyed the pre-title sequence. It's a high ranker for me. Me too. Me too. It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You always want that one that's going to draw you into the movie. And it did. And of course, course, as we've discussed before, I am a fan of the pre-credit sequence that has something to do with the movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it had something to do with the movie as well. So just another so. another plus. Yes, indeed. So yes, indeed. Just for a bit of trivia for you, if you remember the guy that shot Bond as Bond was running down the hill to jump on the top of that truck, which was awesome, the guy says, hey, hey, mate, you're dead or something like that. <laughs> and he just, Bond just kind of... <laughs> elbows him out of the way. Yeah. That guy is one of the main stuntmen for the series. He does a lot of the bigger stunts in uh, the Bond films. Finally got a speaking role, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice. Okay, so now we're going to get the fresh take from the rookies on the theme song and the opening credits. Did we? Or did we not? Like, aha. What do you think, Delvin? What are your thoughts? Well, I'll probably let you know. In a day <laughs> How long have you been cooking it? How long have you been cooking that thing? I just thought about it. I just thought it. I just thought it. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I am not too familiar with the song The Living Daylights. And so, you know, when I heard it, my very first thought was, you know, the synth and all that. I'm like, yep, they're still very much doing that 80s Euro. But I found myself kind of nodding my head to it. I'm like, hey, it, it's catchy and I like it. And AHA was definitely a popular group. So no big complaints about that. I looked a little bit at, you know, all the trippy stuff that was going on, but I kind of stopped paying attention to that. And I was listening more <laughs> to the song. What about you, Pat? I was trying to think I'm like, man, who sings this song? I've heard the song before, and I, you know, I always just remember the living daylights. But I couldn't remember who sang it, so I'm waiting for it to come. I'm like, oh, aha, now I get it. <laughs> it's aha. I'm not playing it for the joke, but I'm actually was trying to think of like, I didn't know who sang that song, but I've heard it. You know, it's an all right song from AHA. But what I want to mention is, since we're talking about music, the music in this film 
mm-hmm. is really great. Really good score. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. I found myself just listening to the you know the background music. It's kind of like edgy rock. It was good. I really like, enjoyed the music throughout this movie. A different sound, and I'm gonna do what oh, I yeah. always do and hijack from you for a second, Pat. In about 1992, I was on vacation with my parents down in Florida. Stopped by a little store. I don't remember what it was, Kmart or Walmart or something, and I saw the Living Daylight soundtrack on cassette. Ooh. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm Bond fan. I'll pick it up. And I, I'd never really paid attention to the score before, but it was all on that cassette. And I just listened to it over and over. I'm like, this score is so good. So I'm glad that it rung with you as it did with me when I rediscovered it about five years after the movie came out. I could definitely tell the difference between the last movie and this one. Even though, you know, you had that good opening song, mm-hmm. I really didn't pay a lot of attention to the music of that one. But for some reason, just hearing something different, mm-hmm. it really caught my ear watching this movie. Yeah, View to a Kill's got a really strong score, in my opinion, too. But this one, like you said, is different. So it's yeah. like, you, you kind of perk up. Like, it's high energy. It's good. I like mm-hmm. to listen to it when I go jogging. The music during the action scenes and just even when the guy's listening to the Walkman, the songs that they're using for what he's listening to give you that kind of mm, The pretenders. Yeah, I liked it. Definitely high praise for the music. Is there anything else you'd like to do with the music, Pat? Yes, well, would you like to maybe evaluate <laughs> the music in some <laughs> fashion? <laughs> What do, you, what do you mean? Like maybe do a rating on the song? Perhaps. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, if that's what you feel compelled. Go crazy, Pat. Go crazy. Aha, uh-huh, Len. Let's go ahead and do it. I heard you slip the aha uh-huh in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and give this a rating on what we thought of the song Living Daylights from AHA. We're going to rate it one through seven as we do the rest of the show here. So we'll start with Jason. I'm going to give it a solid five. I think it's up there. What do you think, Jared? I'm going to bump it up one more. I'm a big fan of the song. I'm going to give it a six. Uh, I understand there's some nostalgia involved. you got to remember, Jason and I moved to Germany in 87. Mm-hmm. That's the reason we missed this one on the big screen. Unfortunately, it's the only one I missed since Octopussy. And AHA was huge in Germany, so it got played a lot. Anyway, lots of good memories. I'm going six. What about you, Delvin? I want to give it a five. I enjoyed it. I thought it, again, a head nodder and a pleasant surprise. What do you think, Pat? I am actually going to give it a four. Fuck you, Pat. Jared. Oh, no. Pat gave us a four. It's an all right song. I just... Like I said, I couldn't even, I didn't even know who sang it. I was like, Pat, how does it feel to be in that seat? Usually it's amazing. <laughs> that was like on the cushy love seat in the corner. And Pat's in the hot seat under the lamps. He's I'm in the jackpot. You, I'm taking a bullet for you. <laughs> Appreciate that fellow rookie agent. <laughs> Nah, if it doesn't sink to you, it doesn't sink to you, no pun intended. So you're going with a four, huh? Maybe I got to hear it a couple more times. I only heard it watching it. It's been a long time since I've heard it. Maybe maybe it's one that got to grow on you. If you need a copy of the entire soundtrack, I know a guy who can get it to you. <laughs> I just might. I don't know. Well, now that we suffered through Pat's mm-hmm. decision. <laughs> Nuh-uh. <laughs> You're still writing out these opposite of aha jokes, I see. <laughs> I think I nailed that one. I'm pretty sure I nailed that one. Good one, Jason. Good one. Well, let's just roll this into the Jared's Choice segment for the week. And interestingly enough, we've already gotten a little bit of input from the rookies on this, but I want to ask specifically about new Bond introductions. So Connery doesn't count because he has the most badass introduction of all time, but he's not a new Bond. He's the original Bond. So I wanted you guys to tell me what you thought, maybe rank order them. 
You got Lazenby at the beach fight. Roger Moore, more laid back, no pun intended, as he is in bed with the Italian agent at the beginning of Live and Let Die. Or you have Timothy Dalton's reveal during the war game turned danger zone assault on Gibraltar. Rank them one through three. Delvin. I'm going to go Lazenby, Dalton, Moore. Because I don't even remember Moore's. So if I don't remember it, it couldn't have been that memorable. And as I discussed, I did remember Lazenby's because it kind of started out and he immediately got to see that he was about the fisticuffs and he was, you know, lean and athletic. And I was like, yeah, we're all right, cool, Bond, let's go. So I go with Lazenby. I know if I was going to be introduced as James Bond, which one I would want to do. Hmm. The Roger Moore one? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you <laughs> want to be in bed with Roger Moore? <laughs> no, ooh, it's... Ooh. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean... I was going to say, no, no, but I was like, you know, but I get to meet Roger Moore, so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'll give Price that an, counts. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to laugh at his, oh, no. <laughs> Nobody Pat. laughed at my, He's oh, so no. funny, Pat. How do you do it? That's good no. at that, though. He's good. <laughs> Pat, yes. lay it out there, man. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Delvin. I don't even remember what Moore's was. So Yeah, Moore was with the Italian agent in his apartment when M showed up. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Then he made him tea or something. Yeah, he made him a very complicated drink. Yes, okay. That was the first one. Yeah, See, I wouldn't even think that was the first time we saw him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. I do remember that. Yeah, that's not going to change mine. And the fun thing is we've got two more to go. Introductions of new bonds. Mm. You get to see what you think. Well, let's talk about highs and lows. And since we're going to lead off with the double O player count, we'll let Pat kick it off. All right. Well, for the double O player, there wasn't much. I got my count as maybe two. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. boat lady. You know, I'm assuming something happened there. And then, of course. Well, he took an extra hour for something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. maybe See, if it boat. had been double O agent Jared, I would have been, it would have been like, I'll be there in an hour. Better make it an hour and eight minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm being generous. And, and then and stopping for a coffee. <laughs> But I think you're right, Pat. I think, again, it's a Mm -hmm. little more novel Bond. Bond isn't such a skirt chaser, if you will, in the novel. I mean, he still is, but not to the extent as you've seen in like the Roger Moore films and stuff. And you have to remember, too, this is late 80s and the AIDS epidemic Mm. is brewing. So there was some thought about that as well, about having Bond be less promiscuous. And it wasn't bad. I didn't really think anything of it. I agree. I thought it was pretty good. But I did. I don't know if you guys noticed. We're going to bring back the smoke count. Yes, Yes. I did notice that. (laughs) Smoke them if you got them. Yeah, I saw that this time. And I just, oh, Pat's going to get his smoke count back. (laughs) What'd you count it at, Pat? I counted it at two. I remember the one when he was in Hugh's office and they were going through the Mm -hmm. slides of the female assassins. What was the other one? I think at the safe house. I think so. There's smoke in there. And he might have done it once later on, too, like when he was talking with Pushkin. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. But these are all Agent Z questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> these are all Alan Porter versus Agent Z questions. But yeah, I think I it was two or three I don't three think times. he was smoking with Pushkin because he was all about the business there. If that, no, if that's you're right. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think it was two or three. I think I, right. I would, I'm going with two. All right. I'll buy three. three. Yeah. I'll buy two. If I'm wrong, listeners, let us know. They That's were. right. Yeah. We'll get angry letters. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, then we'll just use those letters or roll them up and we'll smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> But there we go. Let's kick it over to Delvin. He's been quiet for an uncharacteristically long period of time. What's a high or low you have for the film, Delvin? I want to preface something before we start. If it sounds like I'm giving a decent amount of lows or whatever, trust me, trust me, it's not as bad as it sounds. Just want to put that out there. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds ominous. I will start with a high here. The very first high that I wrote was that it was a very good fight scene with, at the time, I called him Milkman, but it was Necros Mm -hmm. and the whoever it was in the kitchen. (laughs) Green Four. Green Four. Green Four is the most badass, not action star of all time. (laughs) I thought one of them was going to die impaled on the thing, and then, like, he burned them on the stove. I'm like, I mean, they went at it like, man, that was a good physical fight. And that was something that's been missing for a long time. We couldn't do that with Roger Moore the last couple of movies. He would have broken his hip. So it was fun and refreshing to see that. I like that fight a lot. But did it put anybody else just a little off when you watch it? Like, this is an amazingly good fight scene that does not involve James Bond. See? That's what I was like. This yes. is a better hand-to-hand fight scene that I've seen during all of Roger Moore's <laughs> karate hands, <laughs> knife hands. <laughs> Green four needs to the movie. I'm gonna steal your tagline for it though. One lump or two, mother effer. <laughs> <laughs> I did text that to Jason when we were watching. <laughs> Talking about Green Four, Jason's like he can whoop butt and bring you your tea. <laughs> One lump or two, mother. <laughs> But Garrett, I want to talk about your point because I put that, that was one of the lows that I put. I was like, I mean, the first really kick-ass fight of the movie did not belong to Timothy Dalton, to James Bond. And and this seemed to be a theme throughout the entire movie, but it was a good fight. And I I want to stop it there. I definitely want to stop it there because I want to explain when I get to my uh, rating, like my overall thoughts on it. So Pat, what do you think? High or low, dude? The action in here was really good, I think. I think there was a lot of good action points in here. Kept me interested that I really don't have a lot of notes because I was watching this movie. That means higher scores from Pat if he has Yeah, if he has a lot of notes, it's getting like three martinis. (laughs) I like, can't remember, Necros or whatever his name is, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Yep, Necros. Necros and uh, Yogi. Um, Yogi. Oh, I I was Where's Boo-Boo? That's what I was like. (laughs) Gee, (laughs) Yogi. <laughs> Necro Yogi. That's what I was like. Hey, hey, let's go to take some, uh, get some of that uh, opium. <laughs> go ahead, Pat. Give yourself the awards. But G Yogi. Going back to the Necros, he reminds me of a younger version of what was that guy from the guy to get the brass Grant? knuckles? Yeah, Grant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. yes, yes. I put that. I was thinking that too. High five across the way. Yes. <laughs> That's my aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, when I was watching, I thought I saw a lot of similarities. I felt like after the zany Roger Moore years, as I'm watching this one, it's more Cold Warry. Mm-hmm. You got Spionum, which is basically Smirsh. You've got Necros, who's a lot like Grant. I get the feeling they're trying to bring this back to the Sean Connery roots. And I agree with you on that, Jared. It wasn't a higher low. It was like an observation. I had to do a double check. I looked on the DVD cover and I'm like, when did this movie come out? 1987? It looks like 19. 19- 
1967. I mean, of course, they had the technology where you knew it definitely was modern times, but it felt like a much older movie. It seemed like it was almost shot with like older cameras or something to give it that feel. Do you guys know anything about that? I do know that you're not the first person to comment about that. Van Allen Plexico, one of our fellows on this network, often says the Dalton movies look like they're cheaply shot. He may not be wrong, but I think it was to an effect. And one thing I also want to point out is that another thing they did to make it more Cold War is a lot of it is behind the Iron Curtain. Like, And to be frank with you, that's what it looked like in 1987. <laughs> that's true. It did look mm. like 1967. It really in did. 1987. No joke. Yeah. Jason and I, we were there. We saw it. And it was like going back in time when you crossed over the border. It was weird. I can buy that. And I think they used that. I think you're right. I think they maybe did a little more less vivid color. I think they did more shooting in those areas. Something tells me that was kind of by design that they wanted to say, hey, this Dalton guy is going to be more like Connery. We're done with the fancy full slide whistle. <laughs> or <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> And we're bringing it back, you know? So I think you're on to something. I don't know if they officially made that decision, but it sure kind of Man, is. somebody had to give Timothy Dalton direction somewhere that, you know, Moore had his day. You are not going to be Roger Moore. Well, I think that a lot of that was Timothy Dalton himself. Mm-hmm. He was being considered for this role long before this movie. And he'd made it quite clear that he was a fan of the books and he wanted his bond to be the kind of bond that will not few in the alleyway. A lot of that I think was him. There was definitely a scene when he was in the room with Pushkin and he had Pushkin's wife strip Mm -hmm. and then had the bodyguard come in and was distracted by her and he just knocked him out cold and I was like, dang. (laughs) Okay. There was nothing fancy about that. That was a, I want you distracted. Oh, look over there. Bam! Knock you out. Very effective. Effective, yep. He gave that look too when he was talking to, what's her name? Something bad happened and somebody got killed or something. He's like, he got really pissed off. Oh yeah, at the uh, the fair when Saunders got killed. Oh yeah, yeah, when Saunders got killed. Did I hear from your yeah, I heard from him. I got the message. Yeah. And then he just got like, yanks her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Like, she, like, she didn't do it. <laughs> hey, going back to the Sean Connery thing for a minute, do you think that the Aston Martin chase was kind of a throwback to Goldfinger? A little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had the laser instead of the blades. and the Yeah. yeah. Still, I mean, yeah, it was like... a little more outlandish. And he had missiles instead of the machine guns, but there seemed to be a lot of similarities there. But it was believable. Yeah. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. So anyway, let's throw it back to Delvin here and give him another Ooh. shot because he's been holding on to this low for a long time. Let's let him get rid of this low here. Throw it out there. Well, I probably have a few, but one of the lows that I think everyone's going to agree with, new money penny. Boo. (laughs) I feel so bad for her. I didn't not like her, but I'm like, yeah. why aren't you Lois Matthews? Yeah. Can we make like a Bond device that like reverse ages her? So like <laughs> she stays like 35 forever because. Yeah, she mom, just carried herself good. Yes. 
Her money penny was so classy mm-hmm. and awesome. And there were times where James needed a pick me up and she was there for him for that. Or there was times where they would have the flirty banter that was always classy. This one, it seemed like this money penny was kind of throwing herself mm-hmm. at James a little bit. And I'm like, eh. of course, she is stepping in shoes the size of a yacht. Yes. So I'm not coming down too hard on on new money penny, but you know, she's a shiny penny and I want my penny, you know, a little, <laughs> bit more, a little bit more worn. It's funny because we've gone through what three four bonds now and each time we've had a new bond we're like yeah okay well we can accept them but we throw a new money penny in there we're like i feel so bad for her because I mean, she's a good actress and she's pretty it's just delvin's right the charm factor was just off yeah it was more than time lois had done that role for 30 years right yeah pretty close <laughs> 23 years so my low is more of a of a love song to Lois Maxwell because her money penny was tops. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing her every single time. Well, but I'll the- tell you guys right now, this money penny that we're going to get now and in the next one of the four, I guarantee you everyone's going to have her at the bottom of the list, but she's not bad. It's just she's serviceable. That's yeah, what I'd say so. She's has more than this one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's in the next one. And then that's it. OK, but I have well, a big right. question on that. Does that mean there's a new Gary money penny? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Gary Moneypenny hasn't gone anywhere, man. He's still showing up at the company picnics, the Christmas party. <laughs> and let me tell you, those are my goddamn Barry Manilow records. <laughs> I was just about to do that bit. Keep your hands off my damn Barry Manilow records. <laughs> Why do you keep playing Copacabana? You know what that song is about. <laughs> Hey, he writes the songs. <laughs> hey, oh. Pat, give us another higher low. I'm going to say I enjoyed the gadgets. And the, there was just something all in all. This movie is really different from what the last few ones we've seen. And I just, yes, it is. I don't know really what it is. But I think as we talk, you know, the music got me. Like you guys said, yeah, the filming of it is really different. I think this is more spy than anything else. Nothing's really over the top here. Just kind of down to earth. And you're like, yeah, this could happen. I could see this being played out somewhere yeah so overall did you think it was good different or bad different good different yeah the plot of the movie was elaborate (laughs) (laughs) this one's got an insanely (laughs) elaborate plot i will grant you like there's a cross and there's a double cross you know there's a buster there's a buster buster like It's almost as confusing as trying to keep track of those two damn train cars and octopus. (laughs) By the time we get to the third act, I'm just like, diamonds, heroin, I guess. What was that? What that was? Opium. Opium. They're giving the diamonds and then they can sell the opium and then it goes back to the weapon. Like, huh? Taliban, (laughs) Brad Whitaker. Uh, don't know. I don't know anymore. My Whitaker brain checked out. Right. And I'm just like, yay, James is flying in a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a freaking elaborate plot. Of that, there's no doubt. I want to mention, I put it as an observation. It could be a low of sorts. When James got caught on, you know, the van, he was trying to load the bomb, but he was caught. And then Kara was like, we've got to go after him. I'm pretty sure in real life that Shaw would have been like, okay, crazy white lady. (laughs) (laughs) There is no way they would have run off and helped her. I just don't see that happening. It's like, oh, I just like that Brit Bond so much. Let's just go save him. 
I, I like that scene that. though. I, the thing that I took away from it is like I think down deep, Cameron Shaw and definitely his men wanted to go mess those Russians up. They wanted to raid that base. So they were looking at her excuse. But she did that that scene where they're all just looking at him and he's like, gosh. <laughs> yes, we're doing this. <laughs> Fair enough. I can buy that, Jason, wholeheartedly. I'll count this as a, a low, but again, not like the lowest of lows. I'm going to combine a couple, actually. I thought that Timothy Dalton reminded me, action-wise, of Lazenby. Like, he was lean, and he was kind of tall, and I thought that that played well to the camera. And I wish that there could have been, like, one last very physical fight between him and Necros, because Necros was a freaking specimen had him coming out the pool he was like dude how many abs can a one man have (laughs) (laughs) it's got like a 24 pack (laughs) (laughs) good grief he has abs in his freaking quads (laughs) and i mean so between him and dalton i think they could have put on a heck of a fight maybe in the back of the cargo plane that would have been a great place for it but they kind of went for a different one where it was kind of you know more stunt e with hanging on to the thing and they had to fight out in the back of the plane, which was okay to me, but I really would have liked to see them actually mix it up. Kind of like... Green Boar style. Yeah, kind of like... Sean Connery and Grant and from Russia with Love. Mm, like that yeah. brutal fight. Like I would have loved for Dalton to have one of those. You know, I kind of agree with you, Delvin. Mm. I did enjoy that fight on the cargo net. That was an amazing stunt, but I would have liked a little more uh, fight in the back of that plane. I would have yeah. liked to see the two of them go at it a little more. Yeah, because it's like that guy, all they show him is kind of working out and stuff like either he's running or he's doing something else. It's Yeah, he's getting those knees up too. He was, he was yeah. in great shape. Must have drank his milk. I wouldn't drink that milk. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't think of either. <laughs> what did you guys think of Lighter? Much like Money Penny, I'll this is bottom rung. <laughs> I say much like Money Penny, this is bottom rung Lighter. I, I think I know where Jared's going to go with this one. <laughs> yeah, this Lighter is bottom rung. But as I was watching this time, because he's really forgettable, it's easy to forget that Lighter's even in this movie. You know, really? I kind of did until I was watching again. I was like, oh, I was, yeah. I was thinking the first guy he met, I'm like, oh, that's Lighter. But then it wasn't. Oh, Saunders. Yeah. Yeah, but I will say this. Again, I feel like they were hearkening back to the books because Lighter in the books is a good old boy from Texas. And hmm. that guy yeah. played good old boy from Texas pretty well. He yeah. sort of reminded me of who's Jack Tripper's friend in Three's Company? Larry? Larry. Reminded me of Larry. Don't know why. Because <laughs> he was hanging out with two. Two <laughs> 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 beautiful Larry. girls. Yeah, he, he had to. Well, I just think that, like Jared said, Felix Leiter was just kind of forgettable in this one. He doesn't do a lot, especially a little spoiler for the next movie coming ahead where Felix Leiter will have a much larger role. Same guy? No, but it is the return of a former Felix Leiter. Okay. Nice. Looking forward to it. He's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Is it me? Yes. Delvin. (laughs) It's you, Delvin. No, oh man, I can't wait. It's been so uh, long. Uh, 
really want to skip this next. Just watch the movie first before you commit. Oh yeah, we'll get to it. Let me ask you one more thing then. What about Whitaker or whatever? Whitaker? Yeah, Whitaker. See, it's like yeah, again. Well, you're gonna see the actor again. (laughs) Yep, a couple more times. Yeah, I was gonna say the guy looks familiar. Like I've seen him in some other things. You have. Joe Don Baker's been in a lot of B movies. Okay, and then he's been in some of the Pierce Brosnan Bonds that I know you've seen. So okay, I think Whitaker went out as much of a boss as he could. He had a line in there. Was that was that line he said? Uh, you had your eight, I'll have my 80. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Bond's shooting at the, you know, he's got this glass thing on him. Just shoot his legs or something. I always wondered that same thing. I wanted to ask you guys this, and I honestly don't know, and I've watched this scene a couple times, but it's like the first couple shots, I think he hits like the arm mm, and the like torso. the chest yeah. and the torso, and the body armor is like in his suit. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of picked up on that watching it. And then I think he tries to shoot him in the head. He's got the plexiglass shield on the weapon that protects him there. Well, he calls so. it body armor. Well, just protecting your head, bro. No, I think Jason's right because I picked up on that on this viewing too. I think the first couple shots is like an arm and a torso. And that's why he yeah. mentioned body armor. I think he's actually wearing full body armor under his outfit. Under his suit. And it would fit his MO because hmm. it was kind of seemed like one of those doomsday survivalist types where, you know, he's looking for anything to happen. So he's just going to be prepared at all times while he's doing all his wargaming, playing with all his toys and stuff. Yeah, he was on hand. And we all know Pickett's charge was up Cemetery Ridge and not Little Round Top. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Word. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. All I know is that he had some really cool little models and dioramas. <laughs> he did, man. It's like, holy cow. He worked hard on those. Do you think he had people do those or did he do those himself? If he had money. You know, you know what? Even if he has money, that might be something that he wants to do himself because he was very clearly into all of that stuff, all the history, even as a failed West Point graduate. And then even as he was building it, he was like, I should put a small, tiny little man with a tiny little cannon and I should hook up a remote to said tiny man and tiny cannon so it could shoot an actual cannonball out of this tiny cannon. That's some planning ahead. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> I thought it was weird. <laughs> it's all in the details, Jared. It's, it's all in fairly the specific. <laughs> I tell you what's not fairly specific, and I'm going to derail this for a second, but I like, and I think, Pat, you mentioned this a little while ago, I like the gadgets in this movie, especially that keychain. Mm-hmm. How practical is that? That's great. Every super spy should have that keychain. Knockout gas. I know, knockout gas. Lock picks. Lock that picks. was cool. Yeah, I love it. Like I said, they kept things kind of simple, not overly done on the gadgets. Practical and effective. I liked mm-hmm. it. There's one more thing I want to bring up. Man, the Mujahideen, when Bond and Kara escaped and they hopped over the wire, and took like two steps and then they popped out of nowhere. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they're pretty crafty. They are a good God. I didn't see them. <laughs> They took that from G.I. Joe issue six. They weren't even in transportation either. I did not see them. (laughs) (laughs) No camels. Yeah. Well, eventually there was camels. Eventually. (laughs) Oh, man. Well done, rookie agents. Now, real quick, let's have our veteran co-host weigh in on this one. Jason, give us your general thoughts and drop your bond bombs unless you need me to drop them for you. (laughs) I may need you to cover me with these bond bombs. (laughs) 
That's my wife sitting in front of my bond bombs right now. <laughs> All right, I'll pick them up for you. You give us your final thoughts and I'll read off your bomb bomb. I'm going to just say one thing that I've noticed just this last watching that I've never picked up before. And we talked a bit about it, how Timothy Dalton wanted to emulate more of the Eon Fleming version of Bond. In the novel, Bond is very snobbish about his food, what he eats. He has a saying that breakfast is a necessity, lunch is a luxury, and dinner is a celebration. So when he eats, he eats the finest food, and he's very particular about his coffee. If you remember back to that scene just before Saunders dies in the cafe and they're sitting mm-hmm. there at the coffee bar. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this, that Bond, he takes a drink of the coffee. He makes this face, never says a word, just puts it down and pushes it away. And I thought that was a really <laughs> clever way that Timothy Dalton worked that little bit of Bond character in the movie. I thought I would throw that out and say, first time I noticed it and I had a great appreciation for it. So with that, Jared, Bond away. Well, all right. I'm going to throw in one thing myself that I've seen many times. I'm sure I've noticed it many times, but similar to you, Jason, it really stood out to me. I'm really watching Timothy Dalton try to bring in literary bond. And what hit it home for me was the scene with Pushkin. When Delvin was mentioning that, he stripped the wife down, he knocks the guy out. What struck me is he did something that I don't think we ever really saw Roger Moore do. He went into full-blown, I'm an assassin for a living mode. Get on your knees. Put your hands behind your back. That's textbook assassination. Knees, hand behind the back, shot to the back of the head. He was not effing around. Nope. And I was like, man, that is straight up assassin work right there. I like that in my bond. I like that bit of hard edge. I still like him to be a little playful. He was a little playful in the movie. My favorite part being when she's like, we got to go back for the cello. And he's like, no, no, no. And then it, it just cuts to him. He's sitting there. He's just so mad waiting on her to bring that dang cello out. That cracks me up every time. But yeah, I really like that. I liked seeing that switch into assassin mode. I thought that was pretty cool. To compliment what you just said, Jared, there were a couple of times during the movie from the very start where you know Bond could have blown Kara's head off. Could mm-hmm. have, probably should have, and he didn't because he made a split second decision. And he could have smoked Pushkin and just been done with it. He could have killed him. He's like, no, something yeah. up here. And I have a license to kill, absolutely, but I'm not just going to just smoke this guy. I'm not going to just smoke that girl. I'm going to only kill if I have to do it, if there's a reason for it. And so that definitely reveals a very uh, thoughtful spy and not just somebody who's amoral. And just because I have that license, I'm just going to kill anyone I want to kill. Yeah, there's a pretty good line that I'm going to mess up from a future Bond movie where it says something about you need a man in the field to pull the trigger or not to pull the trigger. Okay. I probably jack that up, but <laughs> you get the you get the flavor. <laughs> I do. If I believed Koskov, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> if I had believed Koskov, we wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> yeah. And you could tell too, there was another little nonverbal tick that Timothy Dalton gives at the safe house after Koskov does his spiel. And he just kind of has this look on his face, like not buying it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not <laughs> buying into all this, right? And they have that discussion. And he says, well, I'll recall 008. He follows orders, not instincts, right? As yeah. he's saying, this is the way it's going to be. And then Bond, he takes the assignment knowing full well he's going to look 
look into it more. And I think too, on some subliminal level, the Dim thinks that as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, here, you're going to take this assignment. These are your orders. But once he's in the field, he has some autonomy about what he's doing. And usually his instincts are pretty good, I think. They certainly were in this movie. Sure mm-hmm. were. Well, let's get to Bond Bomb, shall we? Yes, we shall. Bond Bomb number one, according to Jason's notes. So if these are wrong, send your angry letters to him. I make that S up all the time. (laughs) (laughs) This was originally supposed to be Pierce Brosnan's first Bond when he couldn't get out of his contract with Remington Steel. Dalton was given the role at the last minute. But like Jason said, they've been kicking Dalton around, kicking his name around since Majesty's Secret Service. But he was in his 20s Mm. back then. He was actually had just finished like on a Saturday filming in the U.S., flew back on a Sunday and then hit the set on Monday and his very first scene was the Bladen safe house. So he was jet lagged like a mofo when he (laughs) rolled into there, but pulled it off like a pro. Well, now we know why Green 4 had the big fight scene. (laughs) Bond was like, you got it, dude. (laughs) That was Bond's coffee he was bringing back. (laughs) Get him, Green 4. Get him. (laughs) It's nappy tappy time for 007. (laughs) Bond bomb number two. This is the last 007 film that John Barry does the score for. Tip of the cat, Mr. Barry. You did some wonderful, wonderful. We'll overlook the slide whistle. (laughs) We'll cut you the slide whistle. (laughs) Bond bomb number three. Did you guys notice that macaw bird in the safe house kitchen? Yes. Where have you seen it before? Oh. That is another reoccurring that, Bond uh, actor. That's uh, from... Um, yeah. <laughs> Give us yep. a kiss. Give that us is, a kiss. That uh, is Max from For Your Eyes Only, same bird. Oh, very cool. Good but he did, did he say something in this one? I don't really think he said anything. No, I don't think so. I think he was just there. Green 4 got your ass whooper. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I wanted to add one other mini bomb, I guess. We discussed last episode that we thought we might have seen the last of General Gogo. I completely forgot he shows up at the end of this. I did too, yes. <laughs> I saw his name on the credits, and I was like, is he in this movie? I don't remember him being in here. And I was like, oh yeah, there he is. Popped up at the end. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that is the last General Gogo. Of course, I said that about the last movie. <laughs> I know, <man. laughs> Well, with those 007 trivia nuggets tucked safely away, funny every time. It's time to have our rookie agent score this film. Go ahead, Delvin. Tell them what we're about to do and how the scoring system works. I'm filling in for Jason here, so this will take about three or four minutes. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) So we are going to score this on a scale of one to seven martinis. It is a rating of enjoyability. Seven, you loved it. It shook your martini. Six, it's excellent. Five, very good. Four, good. Three, just okay. Two, not so good. And one, hated it. It's third, your martini. What's that? I give this movie five of seven martinis. I liked it. It kept me interested. It had a complex plot that seemed to drive the story more than James Bond did. I would have loved to have seen them after Roger Moore's take for them to just cut loose with Timothy Dalton to start off with a bang. And it really could have with this plot, it possibly could have been an all-time great movie, even though it was very, very good. I think they chose to play it safe. I think even though with you guys' perspective of Dalton playing more of the book Bond, which I really do 
do appreciate. I think had he played a more dynamic Bond, that maybe it just would have just made the movie pop even that much more. That said, it was still a very good movie and I enjoyed it. What do you think, Pat? I am going to give this a six. I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I think it's high praise. The lot of action that was in it. The music again, the, the music is what did it for me on this one. This is a good scores from the rookies. Yeah, yeah. I think those are fairly accurate. I mean, you average those out. You're looking at a 5.5 on our seven point scale. And I think that's fair. Even though we don't do halves. We do <laughs> not do halves. <laughs> and you know what, Jason? Delvin wants to see Timothy Dalton cut a little loose and get a little more actiony. And yeah, I think we can arrange that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're going to get what you wish for. And I think, too, that part of this script was written still under the Roger Moore era. And I think this is a cello case. (laughs) (laughs) And I obviously did some tweaks and massage for Dalton. But I see this more as a transition film. I think we get, in my opinion, the best Dalton film is next. And I think he gets to really be Dalton Bond. So we'll see. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Now it is time to crown this episode's double O award winner. Pat and Delvin will do this by answering a series of trivia questions on the living daylights. Delvin is our current champion. (laughs) He gets to go first. But before that, we got to do our quick break to thank our Patreon sponsors. It's a long list of names, folks, but we really appreciate it. We get through as fast as I can, but we still got to shout out and give respect to these folks that are keeping the palatial White Rocket Studios open for business. White Rocket Entertainment. Brendan O'Dwyer, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, Carl Von Drunker, Phil Amthor, Winston Bodie, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, Johnny Caldwell, Riddles Wolf. Oh, there we go. Josh Corbett, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gasson, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Gerard Albrich, William Glenn, Matthews, Joel Beckham, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor, David Hegler, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Shilton, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Dave Powell, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris Wardam Wade, Jason Albrecht, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Steve Schuster, James Taylor. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Nailed it. John Stubbs, Gifford Reigns, You Ain't Got to the Lie, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Spanky, Brant Rumble, J.W. Pepper Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time and anonymous donors, one of which is not anonymous, is Surfer Chickafive. If you'd like to help us save up for a steroid-ridden, multi-million dollar racehorse, you too can help sponsor the show over at Patreon.com. Just search the keyword Plexico, P-L-E-X-I-C-O. You can give as little as $1 a month to help keep Agent Jason's iceberg submarine stocked with champagne and caviar. And like those other folks whose names you just heard, you'll get a shout-out on every episode of all White Rocket shows, including this one. As a Patreon, you'll also get bonus material, behind-the-scenes information on all White Rocket endeavors, including our novels, comic books, and more. 
So let's find out who this mission's trivia double O award winner is going to be so he can lord it over the other guy until next episode. Agent Jason and I have each prepared three questions for a total of six. We'll take turns asking each of the contestants a question. You get it right, that's a point. You get it wrong, your opponent has an opportunity for a steal. Most points gets you the coveted double O award, a free ride on Zoran's blimp, I'm sure he had a spare, and an opportunity to drop out, which I would not take. While supplies last, not available in all areas. Let's start the segment we like to call Agents Under Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Delvin is our current champion, so he gets to decide whether he wants to go first or second. 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 And Pat, who's reading your questions? I'm going to go with Jason this time. <laughs> you got all the answers, right, Pat? I texted them to you earlier. <laughs> yes. You're not supposed to say that out loud. I broke. I got the code. Oh, I thought. <laughs> Unacceptable. All right, Pat. Your first question is this. What object in the film is named the Lady Rose? Oh, well, that object is a cello. Pat is correct. <laughs> Kelvin. Okay, so the first one you sent me was right. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I did like it. Don't get them mixed up. Delvin, yeah. your easy round question, sir. What great Soviet achievement was used to smuggle Koskov across the Iron Curtain? The uh, Trans-Siberian Pipeline. Ooh, we even knew the name Ooh. of it. Fancy. Check so out fancy. the brain on Delphi. <laughs> fancy. I was just taking pipeline. Well done. All right. We're moving into the medium category. Pat, I need you to finish this line from General Pushkin. This is the first time I've ever been glad that James Bond is a good shot. Ooh. 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 Pat came to play today. Ooh. We've never done a finish the quote before. I was wondering how that was going to go. Good question. Good answer. Delvin, I think you made a wise decision on your order of questions in the medium round because I think this one's pretty easy. Okay. What city are Bond and Kara in when they ride the Ferris wheel? <sighs> okay. I was wrong about these. <laughs> <laughs> when were they in a Ferris wheel? <laughs> Conveyances. No. Ferris wheel is not a mode of transportation. <laughs> There were so many damn cities in this movie. That's true. That but true. You're not wrong. Was it Tangiers? Uh, it was not Tangiers. Pat, would you like to try for a steal? Florence? Well, the city boys was Vienna. They were oh, in Vienna. Mm. Okay. Oh. All right. Well, we're going into the hard round, Pat. So I need you to put your thinking cap on because this next question is, where did Brad Whitaker Go to college. Go to college? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can hear mm -hmm. Delvin Sharkin. He knows the answer. Well, he got kicked out of West Point. Oh, there he goes. He got it. He got it. Delvin, all you can do is save face at this point. Correct. How far away from Karachi were Bond and Kara after they dropped out of the plane in that Jeep? Oh, man. That's oh. a question. Because <laughs> <laughs> he can make it in time for dinner. True. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, since this you're just playing for face, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. It's in kilometers. Ugh, I can't remember. Like, 106. I'll bet Pat knows, because I think this was a question <laughs> Pat was going to ask us. <laughs> Pat, yeah, I bet you do. Your number's bad. I'm not good at kilometers. <laughs> so, Are you uh, good at numbers? Can you put a number in front of a kilometer? I'll say 52. 
That was 200. Oh. Well, congratulations, Pat. Pat Eldemont. I'm sure you're not going to hold this over Delvin's head or anything. (laughs) I can't believe it. I was was thinking I was going to lose. Even with that stupid Florence answer, you somehow, man. (laughs) (laughs) He had me questioning myself. (laughs) You know, I was like, did they go to Florence? I was, I was trying to think of some. I was thinking Paris, but well, that's uh, all right. Congratulations, Pat. You want it? You keep it, old buddy. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited now. He's turned into a Mario brother. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 it's ding! Hi, Pat. <laughs> Peppy now. Well, now for our final segment of the show entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, our rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question that they brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. So let's get going with Return Fire. This never happened to the other fellow. All right, Delvin, toss this question. Pushkin stayed at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What room? 17. Today's the day they keep laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat, I want you to ask me and specifically me. If I can't get it, I'll pass it to Jason. <laughs> but it'll probably be an easy one, too, but just because I wasn't really, I mean, I was watching the movie. I'm good. So the question is, what food served at the safe house does Bond remark to Koshkov as being excellent? The caviar? No, no. I take it back. Foie gras. It's the foie gras. You concur, Jason? I concur. Because Koshkov <laughs> called caviar peasant food where he comes from. That's right. Well, well done, rookie agents. Once again, set them up, knock them down. Congratulations to Pat for the victory. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, you'll get another chance. You'll get about 10 more chances to be exact. <laughs> But at any rate, it's time to take a look in the eyes-only mailbag. Jared, what's in the bag today? What, no small talk? No chit-chat? Well, thank you, Jason. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page, which is at ohmspod. If you'd like, you can even use the email. And as a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We might even play it on the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. Tell a friend, tell a coworker. As a reward for leaving a review, We will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Let's get into our regular feedback segments. We've got some more audio files tonight, my friends. We are going to run it much like we did last time. We're going to play an audio file and I will assign an agent to respond to it. Because if we respond, all four of us to every file, it's going to add another 45 minutes to the show. (laughs) We will kick this off with our friends Ruth and Darren over at the Rad Adventures Network. Now, normally, R-A-D for Rad Adventures stands for Ruth and Darren, but here, they're our research and development Q branch. They usually bring some insights and some fun, so let's listen to what Ruth and Darren have to say. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Of the Rad Adventures Network. We're with Research and Development Q-Branch, and we're here to share our thoughts about The Living Daylights from 1987. Timothy Dalton debuts as James Bond in this film, which was both financially successful and well-received by critics and 007 fans. Timothy Dalton was in line to take over the role in 1983 until Roger Moore decided to stay on in the role for two additional movies. 
However, interestingly, Timothy Dalton was not the first choice to take over the role in The Living Daylights. Pierce Brosnan, who Cubby Broccoli met during the filming of For Your Eyes Only, had just finished four years on the successful mystery comedy series Remington Steel, and he was announced as the new James Bond. However, everyone's plans were disrupted when the NBC TV network that aired Remington Steel decided to take advantage of the situation. While Remington Steel had initially been canceled, NBC had a 60-day window to change their minds, and on the very last day they chose to exercise their option and ordered six additional episodes for a fifth season of Remington Steel. NBC's plan was to broadcast those new episodes when the new James Bond movie was released to increase the show's ratings. However, Cubby Broccoli didn't like the idea of Bond being on TV at the same time as in the cinema, so he changed his plans and announced Timothy Dalton would take over the role instead. Timothy Dalton was very well received in the role and helped breathe new life into the 007 franchise. In addition to Timothy Dalton, the film features an excellent cast, including Mariam Diabo as Kara Malovi, who we were lucky to meet at NostalgiaCon a few years ago. John Rhys-Davies is excellent as General Pushkin. He's well known for both the Indiana Jones movie series and the Lord of the Rings movies. We've had the fortune to see him at a couple of conventions, and he's one of the most friendly celebrities we've ever met. He likes to take lots of time talking to every fan. I love seeing Art Malik in the movie. I've been a longtime fan of his since seeing the Jewel in the Crown TV series. And Virginia Hay has a small part as General Pushkin's mistress. She went on to star in the sci-fi TV series Farscape, which is a favorite of ours. And in a fun cameo, we see actor Michael Percival, who is the cook who is strangled by Necros in the MI6 safe house. He would later play in the hilarious British espionage comedy series The Piglet Files. And we can throw in one more connection to the classic espionage series The Avengers. The pretenders were initially chosen to perform the theme for the movie, but the producers had been pleased with the financial success of A View to a Kill's theme song by Duran Duran, and instead chose popular Norwegian group AHA. However, the Pretenders still contributed two songs to the soundtrack, including the closing theme. The Pretenders' hit song, Don't Get Me Wrong, had been released the year before, and the music video for it was a tribute to the Avengers, with lead singer Chrissy Hind playing the role of Emma Pill searching for John Steed. We were able to see the Pretenders in concert a few years ago, and we took the opportunity to wear t-shirts from the Avengers to the show, which was great fun. And now it's time for 007 Hits and Misses, when we share our thoughts on two low points and seven high points in the film. This is an excellent film with few low points, but there are a couple. The low point for me is definitely the sequence when the guards are amused by the keychain and all closely huddle around it while Bond whistles the musical activation key from his jail cell. That scene is way too contrived. And for me, it's the awful manufactured emergency near the end of the film when Kara has somehow managed to fly straight toward a giant mountain without realizing it until 007 notices. And now let's move on to the many high points in this great film. Number 7, the excellent opening scene filmed on the Rock of Gibraltar. It's a terrific idea for a location, and the sequence is exciting, and it's a great way to introduce the new James Bond. Number 6, the cool sequence using the Trans-Siberian Pipeline for an escape route. Fun idea. Number five, the horse-drawn carriage ride through the beautiful historic city of Vienna. I always love seeing the many international locations. Number four, the return of Smirsch from the very earliest 007 films. This plot idea originated when the movie was initially planned as a complete reboot of the franchise. Number three, I really like seeing James Bond on a date at the carnival. He's having fun riding bumper cars and winning stuffed animals. It's terrific to see a different side of the character, and I love seeing him smile several times during that sequence. 
Number two, the terrific aerial stunt with Bond and Necros hanging from the nets from the back of an airplane. It's a very well done sequence, and those stuntmen are amazing. It looks frightening. And number one is the awesome ski chase using Kara's cello case as a sled. It's fun and exciting and is beautifully filmed. The scene was the idea of director John Glenn, who had to convince the rest of the production team that a cello case was large enough to hold two people. He brought one on set and sat in it himself. The cello case had skis mounted underneath it that were controlled by actress Miriam Diabo from switches mounted on her side of the case. Thank you once again to our friends Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat for letting us share our thoughts. Remember, we're RAD, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. And research and development. Jason, take it. It kind of spurred one memory in my mind is uh, when I got back from Iraq in 2005, I went to Gibraltar and I saw the location where they launched the Jeep off of the side of the mountain. That was kind of a fun, memorable trip for me. Other than that, I agree largely with everything that you said. I didn't think that the keychain scene was that contrived, but I do agree with Ruth's assessment that that's pretty dumb, like <laughs> the plane into the mountain. I was like, mean, he's like, there's no where to set it down. I'm like, but there's a road right there. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, Kara could not fly that plane. Like, keep, keep, keep the plane straight. Oh, you mean open the back door? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, that, that scene was kind of silly. But other than that, great thoughts by Ruth and Darren, as usual, and mm-hmm. uh, really appreciate the send-in and their personal takes on it, and little anecdotes are always fun. Well, rookie agents, you guys want to fight over who gets Agent Z? You know what? Give it to Pat. Trick question. He sent us in two <laughs> files. <laughs> you guys each get to respond. Agent Z, part one. Hello, rookie agents. This is Don Zuiderman calling in from the Netherlands. You have reached The Living Daylights, which is absolutely one of my favorite James Bond films, and not in the least because of its excellent soundtrack by John Barry. This is his 11th soundtrack for the Bond films, and it would also be his last, sadly. He wrote, or co-wrote, also 12 of the theme songs, and he practically invented spy music. He has a cameo as the conductor at the final concert in Vienna in this film, and he almost came back to score Tomorrow Never Dies in 1997, but apparently he couldn't come to terms, which is sad. It is interesting to note that Barry then proposed the producers should go with David Arnold instead, who ended up scoring five consecutive Bond films, starting with Tomorrow Never Dies. And John Barry finally died in 2011 at the age of 77. And he leaves behind a wonderful legacy. Only Barry could give sounds to things that don't actually have sound. You remember Thunderball? How does underwater sound? And what does space sound like? Do you remember his excellent capsule in space from You Only Live Twice? Flight into Space from Moonraker. (laughs) 
And finally, he even manages to give diamonds a sound. Now, John Barry's soundtracks are so distinctive, most people find that they can immediately pinpoint a track to its film. So, it's trivia time. I've cut a few seconds from five different Bond scores, all John Barry. And can you correctly identify each of these films? Now, quickly grab a pen and paper and listen to the five short clips. Now, for the rookie agents, I only expect them to guess the film. But for the senior agents, Jared and Jason, I expect them to guess the scene or even the track title. All right, are you ready? Here's the first one. All right, write down your answers. And here's the second one. And here comes number three. That's all you're gonna get for number three. Let's move on to number four. And lastly, number five. Well, I really hope you got those five. I'll send in a separate audio message with the answers. I think the first one is from Octopussy. I think the second one is from Majesties. I think the third one's from Rush With Love. The fourth one I'm calling Diamonds Are Forever. And the fifth one sounds like You Only Live Twice to Me. Hi, Rookie Agents. This is Don Zerdeman again, and I'm calling in with the answers to my little John Barry trivia game. I played five small snippets of John Barry soundtracks, and the question was, can you name the proper film? And for the senior agents, can you even name either the track title or the scene in the film? So here we go. This was the very first audio clip. That was from Octopussy, and the track is called 009 Gets the Knife, which is obviously when 009, dressed as a clown, is being hunted down by Mishka and Grishka. So very well done if you got that. This is the second one. That was the track Bobsled Chase from the soundtrack of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is obviously when Bond is starting to chase Blofeld down the bobsled run. I hope you got that. Let's listen to the third one. Ah, I love this one. It's from, from Russia with Love, when the beautiful Layla dances with her beautiful belly in the gypsy camp. I'm sure you got that one. Um, let's go to number four. It's only a very small audio clip, but it's very distinctive. I don't think any song sounds as sleazy as this one. It's called Airport, and it's from the soundtrack of Diamonds Are Forever. It's when Bond lands in Las Vegas. And that brings us to the fifth and final one. 
This beautiful track is called The Wedding and it's from the soundtrack of You Only Live Twice when Bond is marrying Kissy Suzuki. I really hope you did all right there, gentlemen. I had lots of fun putting this trivia game together for you. I really hope you enjoyed my John Barry tribute. So, in closing, I'd like to ask you, what is your favorite John Barry soundtrack or music track or even your non-Barry soundtrack? Let me know. And I'll be looking forward to your License to Kill film review. This is Don Zerdemann, signing out. What do you think, boys? I nailed it. Dude, that is impressive. I was really stuck on that first one. I'm glad you called Octopussy because I was I was like way off. I think it was like Goldfinger or something. At first, I thought it might have been the Moon Buggy from Diamonds, but then it just clicked. I was like, this is Octopussy. I didn't catch the first part where we were supposed to be writing down something. I was falling asleep from the watering music. <laughs> yes, I get it. Thunderbolt makes you sleepy. <laughs> joke never gets old. Well, it's a good thing that we did not cheat at all and we got all those answers right. Good job. Good teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some Jeff and Rick. Good evening, agents. This is Rick from the Junior Mission Control Center, also known as Jeff and Rick Presents. I am providing this week's field report on the film The Living Daylights from the junior agents stationed in the Pacific Northwest. As usual, I surprised my fellow junior agent Jeff during the recording of our regular podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, with a pop quiz in the middle of our script. His answers are not prepared. Bad Jack, you're a superhero and superheroes don't solve their problems with violence. Wait, what? That, that's almost exclusively how superheroes solve their problems. Actually, they solve them by taking surprise tests. Pop quiz, secret agent. It is now time for junior agent <laughs> test time. This time we're looking at the living daylights. This was Timothy Dalton's first entry as Bond in 1987. In honor of this new Bond, name me three other movies with Timothy Dalton that are not Bond films. Oh, oh, awesome. Um, It's fun that I did not like Timothy Dalton when he was in Bond. But uh, then I see him at other things and I'm like, I love this guy. So he was amazing in Hot Fuzz. Yep. And uh, he was pretty killer in Flash Gordon. Yeah. And then, uh, oh no, that's a TV series, The Penny Dreadful. And, uh, okay, darn it, another timothy dalton movie ah uh, i've got two of the three that's not good enough to get somebody to leave a message on my voicemail ah. <laughs> all right five four counting doesn't help three two one yeah i would have I also accepted the rocketeer and toy story three uh, and the tourist and tales from mercy Second question. The villain in this film is Brad Whitaker, portrayed by veteran actor Joe Don Baker. Name me three other movies that Joe Don Baker filmed prior to 1987. Was he in Mitchell? Yes, he was in Mitchell. And that's all that matters? Come on, there's more. Oh, gosh. Uh, Come on, you know you love uh, Mr. Joe Don Baker. I can't think of anything other than Mitchell. I know, it's sad. Uh, I would have accepted Walking Tall. Oh, okay. He was the main character in Walking Tall. He was also in Cool Hand Luke. And I would have also accepted The Natural, where he played Babe Ruth. Okay. Training, as always, will continue in the field until our junior agents are able to handle any situation. Thank you for accepting our reports. Until next time... Junior Agents, signing out. Delvin, what do you think, man? He did about as well as I did today on Agents Under Fire. <laughs> you got um, that right. <laughs> so, yeah. Smack um, talking time. <laughs> he deserved it. He, he needed a win. It had been a while. So, 
<laughs> this is about Jeff and Rick. Oh, sorry. Oh. sorry. <laughs> it's not about Pat and Delvin? No. It all Delvin comes back to Pat and Delvin. Unpacking the power of the oh, James Bond okay. power because of James Bond power don't stop. Yes. <laughs> We're unpacking the power of the pop-up hiss. <laughs> I dig that they put a fun spin on that. That is very fun. Let's get in to see what Agent I, he usually ties it into the literary bond. Let's see what he's got for our tie-ins this time around. Hello, rookie agents. This is Agent I with the Fleming Connection for 1987's The Living Daylights. The movie takes material from a short story of the same title that Fleming originally had published in the Sunday Times under the name Berlin Escape. It has Bond acting as a sniper in Cold War Berlin. British agent number 272 is trying to escape from East Berlin to West Berlin at night, and a KGB sniper named Trigger is assigned to kill him during the attempt. Bond is ordered to protect agent 272 by killing the sniper first. For three nights, Bond surveils the location of the escape attempt, and each night he notices a female orchestra practicing in a building nearby, specifically a female cello player. When the escape is underway and the KGB sniper is aiming their weapon at 272, Bond identifies Trigger as the female cellist he spotted earlier. He chooses to shoot the rifle out of her hands rather than kill her, scaring the living daylights out of her. He admits that he chose not to kill her simply because she was a woman and hopes that M will fire him for disobeying orders. This serves as the inspiration for the first scene after the title sequence, where Bond is protecting General Koskoff during his defection. Ian Fleming based the character of Trigger on his own sister, Amaryllis Fleming, who was an accomplished cellist. Many fans find Timothy Dalton's movie performances as Bond to be the closest to the literary Bond, and I too see in Dalton a connection to Fleming's Bond. But if you like Dalton's portrayal of 007, don't blink, because he won't be around for too many more films. Follow me on Twitter at SeekAtWisdom for more Bond knowledge. This is Agent I, signing out. Pat, you always seem to enjoy the Agent I portions of the show. What do you think, man? Oh, and some more in-depth knowledge, definitely from the books. I wish I knew more about the books, though. He keeps drawing me in. And it's like, okay, I got to write down a list of books that I want to get so I can start to read them. And, you got a uh, birthday coming up, right, in May? I do, yeah. So, so my I, advice to you is don't buy anything between here and there. <laughs> why is that? I might have a little something for you. Oh, okay. Looking forward to it. I don't want to say too much, but it's the entire Fleming collection of books. <gasps> Ooh. I think. Act surprise. Oh, man, I was hoping for a Sky Striker. <laughs> well, of course you're getting a Sky Everybody gets a Sky Striker. Almost everybody gets a Sky Striker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't cheat on that Agent Z thing. You really impressed me. You came out of nowhere. I knew four out of those five, but that fifth one, that was tough. I do what I can do. When I can do it. All right, boys, we got a new one tonight. Ooh, who is it? Agent R, Matt Robenheimer, checking in from Station S in South Africa. Ooh. It's a first time send in. We're getting the globe covered, aren't we? We are covering the globe, boys. Let's find out what Matt Robenheimer, Agent R, has to say on the Living Daylights. Hello, MI6 rookie agents. Matt Robenheimer here from Cape Town, South Africa. As you guys are now reviewing one of my absolute all-time favorite Bond movies, I thought the time was right to send you a contribution, let you know my thoughts about this film. In general, I really like the Bond movies of the 1980s because they have a slightly more down-to-earth, real-world feel to them, and I think The Living Daylights is the ultimate example of a 1980s Bond movie. It keeps true to the Bond movies that came before it in terms of style and feel. You can see it's made by the same team of people, but now they've added to it the fresh element of 
Timothy Dalton as Bond, who I think brings a really believable and convincing performance as James Bond. As much as I love Roger Moore, it's such a breath of fresh air to see Dalton enter the series at this point, and I think he gives a really strong performance in this movie. He's also surrounded in the movie by some really good actors, such as um, John Rhys Davies, who I think is brilliant as General Pushkin, and Jeroen Krabbe as General Koskov. The film often gets criticism that it doesn't have a really strong main villain. Although that's true, I really do enjoy Koskov as a character, so I'm not left feeling like the movie's really missing something in the villains department. Also, I think it has one of John Barry's most outstanding soundtracks. There's so many great cues in the film, it's got a new fresh feel to it. And also love that it has three original songs which are all interwoven into the score, especially the song for Necros, uh, Where Is Everybody Gone? It really becomes like a signature for his character. Whenever you hear that tune, you know danger is near. I also love the sequence at the end where the Mujahideen ride their horses over that big bridge. And I think the model work there is incredible because that whole, that whole sort of uh, canyon didn't actually exist. It's all done using a foreground miniature, which I think works really well and I always enjoy those type of uh, practical effects. I could basically go on and on and on about the many elements of this film that I really enjoy, but I'll spare you guys that and just say you've been doing a great job with the MI6 Rookie Agent series, and I really hope that you enjoyed this film. Goodbye for now. Oh, that was pretty awesome. Thanks mm-hmm. for the compliment there. Agent R, we're glad to have you aboard. I did not realize that was miniature work. I mean, I guess I kind of did, but I never thought about it. That bridge seems pretty cool. Yeah, it was very, very well done. And he obviously has an appreciation for Dalton, much like I do. Anybody else thoughts on Agent R? I think you covered it. Cool. Thank you for sending it in. It's glad yeah. to hear some more voices out there that are listening. That's cool. Very cool. Thanks definitely for sending that in. Send in sections getting bigger and bigger, fellas. <laughs> It is. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's taking fun, time man. away from my sleep. I'm not liking this. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. It's definitely uh, something to get a kick out of to get all this pretty cool response that we've been getting from the show. So that will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed this crew and you want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find the Longbox Crusade at www.longboxcrusade.com or we're on Twitter and Facebook at Longbox Crusade. You can also find us on Instagram. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel as well, too. You're right about that. Thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. And thanks to listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or comment on this or any of our other episodes or an audio file like you heard us play earlier, feel free to hit us up at ohmspod at outlook.com or stop by and check us out on Twitter at ohmspod. Or you can contact any of us directly. We're happy to chat with you. My contact info is at Yard Sale Artist. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Jason. You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook or Instagram. Pat. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Delvin. You can find me at DEE underscore RAY1977 on Twitter. We hope to hear from you soon. Next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will, of course, be License to Kill. Freaking 10 out of 7. It's a 10 out of 7. I agree. <laughs> oh, so it's a Beastie Boys movie? <laughs> it's licensed to ill. Oh. Because <laughs> we're he- running and stealing and <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we and you know I'm going straight for y'all. <laughs> oh my gosh. On her si- uh, on her Majesty's Secret Podcast we On her Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. <laughs> no sleep till Now, if you got the impression that we were being less than honest with you during our whole segment with Agent Z's audio trivia challenge, that's probably a good instinct. Agent Z actually caused quite a bit of chaos behind the scenes because admittedly, Agent Jason and I have just recently started getting into the music of Bond, so it's a complete weak point for us, and we've decided to be honest and give you access to the chaos that it caused behind the scenes. Enjoy. Should we cheat and just get the answers? (laughs) Yeah, uh, go just go ahead and give the answers. We don't all have to go on that, so I don't look like a complete freaking moron. <laughs> <laughs> I I like I I'm terrible at these. I, I I've tried to play on the JBR. I don't know. I just must be tone deaf because. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll play honest. I have the first one. I thought it was the moon buggy scene from Diamonds. The second one sounded like Peace Gloria from Majesties. The third one I wrote down shit. The fourth one I wrote down fuck. <laughs> and the fifth one I wrote down bathhouse from You Only Live Twice. Anybody was it else even playing? Was, no. Was it the wedding. It's the wedding. You're right. Damn it. It's the wedding. Well, I think we're failing miserably. I'm like you, Jason. I've just recently gotten into the music of Bond, so I don't have it tattooed in my brain yet i'm getting there but yeah best i've got is diamonds moon buggy you you said you thought it was for goldfinger you may be right i uh, got majesty's peace gloria three and four i'm out and then you're right five is the wedding i thought it was bathhouse but it's the wedding so let's listen to uh let's listen to the answer so we can all feel bad i think the first one is from octopussy i think the second one is from majesty's i think the third one's from rush with love the fourth one i'm calling diamonds are forever and the fifth one sounds like you only live twice to me we're gonna edit that shit in. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to. Now we're pretending like we just got them listening. Just like you, 
Once when I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Money Penny. That's all. That's all. This is one of my favorite movies. Got to hurry up so Delvin can take a on it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I brought you here, Delvin, for a fresh perspective. Hey, here's a different opinion. <laughs> you. <laughs> what bond-like things have you been doing? Listening to my dogs. <laughs> Shut up that damn dog. <laughs> what are their names? Oh, what are their names? Mm-hmm. Chuck and Jiffy. They're cops. <laughs> could probably do a preview for that. Chuck and Jiffy. They they watch the house. Chuck, I think that is podcasting down in the basement. Oh, make a lot of noise. Jiffy, I like the way you think. Shut up, Delvin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Living Daylights, two minutes or less. I think I got it here, Timey Jared. He doesn't have it. (laughs) I do. I got this. I got this. Today's the day they stop laughing at you. (laughs) Today's the day. Today's the day. Do it, Jason. Well, let's find out what everybody thought of that rating. It's a one. Wait a minute. I feel like my oh no didn't get a good Oh, I didn't hear it. I think Did you it? dropped like, that. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that explains it. For a minute there, I was worried that my <laughs> wit didn't get through your pedestrian brains. Now that I've heard the joke, though, I do regret it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be honest, now I kind of regret saying that. So, anyway, back to you, Pat. Do your thing. Hold on. going to be noise in the background. Hey, shut up that damn dog. <laughs> It's not a show until we yell, shut up the damn dog. Jason has to change rooms. Um, Jeffy, he left the door open. (laughs) What was the other dog's name? Chuck got away. When he gets out, man, he bolts. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Chuck. I'm happiest. I'm happiest. (laughs) When I'm outside. I'm happiest in the neighbor's yard. (laughs) (laughs) Look at me, Chuck. (laughs) I'm deucing in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> I'm gonna be the same as Delvin. Hold on, I'm getting paged. This is G7W, G7W. Hold on, I'm getting paged. And it says, Yep, Pat's joke was funnier. We've got like, uh, we have like this show is 80% outtakes tonight. <laughs> Now with 80% more outtake. It's going to be a 15-minute show with an hour and a half of of outtakes. Her name was Money. All right. Money Penny. (laughs) The only other thing I kept kind of wondering is, how many turns does Pat get? Yeah, I don't know. I just keep, <laughs> see, that's what happens when I have no notes. You know, I even, I the, even in my head, I'm like, dang, this is kind of going long, isn't it? I, I better wrap this <laughs> up, Jason. <laughs> well, on that, maybe we can wrap. Got jokes in, jokes in, <laughs> jokes. And then the Phoenix came back and she said to Scott, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Magneto's the baby. <laughs> So we weasels go alone. <laughs> so then Nova came and told Spider Man. You too, Pat. You're gonna be jumping on this too. Just kick a man when he's down. Treat oh, me man. like I'm green four. Go ahead. 
And if you'd like to help us save up for a steroid ridden multi-million dollar racehorse, <laughs> I really start need to start reading these in advance. I'm happier <laughs> in the battle. That's all I got. His name is Cameron Shaw. Oh, Cameron Shaw. Cameron Shaw. All right. Oh, Shaw. Oh, I, I did. I, I said that. Oh, Ugh. After the hazard. Or not my night. I was going to yeah. say, it's getting late for you. <laughs> no, no, no excuse on lateness. No no excuse on the loss. I'm, I'm a man. I don't give excuses when I lose. <laughs> oh, I see what's happening. <laughs> change, 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 change. <laughs> Are those dimes that I hear? <laughs> anyway. Good Saturday morning. Except for the part where Pat cheated. <laughs> Oh, here we I go. thought I was going to lose. I actually thought I wasn't prepared. You do better on the ones where you don't prepare. That. That's why I, I just ignore that. Oh, I didn't take a lot of notes. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Whatever. And that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future. Music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J O S E F L I N 99. You will not regret it. <laughs>